0: Amen. Praise the Lord. So thankful to be here this morning. I'm glad you've chosen to join with us for worship either on campus and those joining with us for worship online. Thank you so much for being a part of our time as we worship uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Before we turn to the word of the Lord, let us do so in prayer. Lord, we come to you just thankful uh, that you are amazing and you are good and you are gracious, you are merciful. Lord, that you are just, And Lord, that you have sent your one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to do what we cannot do on our own. Lord, thank you for the Spirit of God that does, as your word says in Ephesians 1, seals us for eternity once we receive you as our Savior. Lord, you are a wonderful Father, a loving Father, a good Father, a Father who disciplines for the sake of correction and restoration. And for that, we thank you. Lord, as we turn to your word this morning, uh, Lord, let it be a blessing to our souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you would, open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 1 ecclesiastes chapter 1 will specifically be in verses uh, 12 through uh, chapter 2 verse 11 so we do have uh, a little bit of scripture to look at this morning and that's okay because we are going to ask the lord to give us the provision necessary to do so if you're joining with us on campus and you do not have a copy of god's word i would encourage you to look underneath your seat in front of you or underneath the seat that you're sitting in there should be a blue bible there i would encourage you to take that bible open up to page 616 616 If you are using your own Bible, if you open it up right in the middle, you should be right around the book of Psalms. Go to the right, you'll see Proverbs and then also uh, Ecclesiastes. This is our second uh, teaching in this particular uh, teaching series called The Search for Meaning. The Search for Meaning and uh, just a way of introduction. If you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to to go to the website or podcast and just listen to the message. At the very least, read the scripture because it's important. Uh, We... Uh, think that Solomon is the writer of this particular book. Uh, some say that it's, it could have been somebody narrating his life. It's, at the very least, it is about Solomon. There's enough uh, indicators in the book that do point to Solomon as the one who is writing uh, these words. Uh, and, and what we appreciate in the book of Ecclesiastes is this, this journey, this search for meaning, and that's what Solomon is taking us on. Uh, like all of humanity, Solomon is looking for life's meaning. And that is true of all of us, even those who know Jesus as our Lord and Savior and those who do not. And when Solomon considers the search for meaning in life, he says this in verse 2. This is really the theme of the book. He says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And so Solomon is gathering the people together. And he says, this, this search for meaning, this idea of vanity, it's a word that shows up over and over again in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's not saying that it's meaningless. Life has tremendous meaning, right? This idea of vanity is, is uh, the, a breath of the, in the air, like a mist, a vapor. And that tells us two things about life. Life is short, and, and in many ways, life is elusive, right? Uh, this idea that, that we see it, we feel it, we try to grab it, and guess what? It, it escapes us. Uh, to a degree. And and so uh, Solomon goes on this journey of searching for meaning very much like you and I do today. And he, he asks this question in verse 3. It's a very powerful question. He says, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun, this idea of under the sun is uh, either just simply just living on earth, or it could be possible that this idea of under the sun is is life apart from God. Either no acknowledgement of God, or you acknowledge there's a God, but you just don't need him, right? And so there's an idea there, and this idea of labor, struggle, this toiling, and he wants to know what what gain is it? This idea of gain is net gain after all the expenses have been paid. All the time, all the resources, everything that's been poured into life, what's the net gain? What is the positive impact for that? And for Solomon, he's struggling because he recognizes that there are realities in this world that we cannot change. Right? The idea that that life seems not to change, that nothing seems to be new. And at the end of our life, when we die, and we're going to die, right, unless Jesus returns, at some point we're going to be forgotten, right? But this is the beauty of the gospel. This is why we got to connect it to the work of Jesus, because in Christ everything changes. In Christ everything is made new. And in Christ you will never, ever be forgotten. Your toil, your labor is not in vain when it is done in the Lord. And what I love about Solomon, one of the things, is he he invites us into his house, right? Uh, he invites us into his life, how he thinks, the processes that he goes through, the experiences that he has, and he, and he doesn't clean up the house at all, right? It's one thing uh, for somebody to show up unannounced, right, and you're like, I, I don't know if I want to let you in because the house is a wreck, right? Right? It's another thing to know that someone's coming over and you have time to prepare, right? Solomon knows we're coming to his house. He knows we're coming because we are on the search for meaning in life. And guess what? Solomon doesn't clean up the rooms. He just opens the door and says, this is what life looks like when you're searching under the sun. And we continue our time. We're going to read verses uh, 12 through chapter 2, verse 11. I'm going to read it all together because I do think it helps us just to get uh, at least a, a, a part of what is being said. And then we'll unpack it together. So beginning in verse 12, the scripture says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under, the, under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had a great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I applied my heart to know wisdom And to know madness and folly, I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Chapter 2, verse 1. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools for which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and, my, and many concubines to the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desire, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil that, uh, that I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity, a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the son and so there's a lot here but we're going to unpack uh, these verses and we're going to see on Solomon's journey of life this search for meaning he teaches us several things uh, first he teaches us that wisdom alone will not satisfy wisdom alone will not satisfy specifically uh, human wisdom uh, you see Solomon spared no effort or cost to get to the bottom of the meaning of life and on that journey He sought out to find meaning through wisdom, specifically human wisdom. He says in verse 12 and 13, he says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. Simply saying, I've been a king for a long time now, right? So he's got power, he's got resources, he's got all those things. And he says, and I applied, that word applied means devoted. I devoted my heart, the command center of my life, my soul, to seek. The word seek means to get to the root. So this, this digging down deep, to get to what? and to search out this idea of searching out is investigation turning over every rock he's all in on this pursuit right he says to search out by wisdom human wisdom knowledge and understanding all that is done under heaven so we know off right up solomon's on a sincere search right i mean he's intentional about this he's all in with this search and what does he say what is the result of all that seeking all that so he gives us The end answer, at the very beginning, what does he say? He says, it is an unhappy business. What an amazing phrase. It's a heavy burden, a burden of affliction and frustration. And then he says that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Man, what an awesome statement. God has wired humanity to long for purpose and truth and meaning, but when you choose to find purpose and truth and meaning apart from God, all your efforts, all your toil, all your labor, it's an unhappy business. Why? Because we can't do it apart from him, right? Solomon says in verse 14, he says, I have seen everything that is done under the sun. Again, he's the wisest man, right? He's searched and dug deep to get to the root of meaning. The scripture says. Uh, And behold, what? All is vanity, a striving after wind. It's an impossible task. That phrase, striving after the wind, is the idea of trying to shepherd the wind, trying to collect the wind and direct the wind. It reminds me of uh, the first soccer team I ever coached in high school. It it was three to five-year-olds, which was awesome, but I had two sets of twins and a set of triplets on that team. It was not happening, right? Just do, you just go, just run, and it's like. It was a fun experience, but it's reality that I, there, there was really nothing I could do to control what was going to be happening at practice and during the game, right? Such is this idea that human wisdom is going to bring meaning in life. Why is it an impossible task? Solomon gives a proverb in this verse 15. He says, what is crooked cannot be made straight. And what is lacking cannot be counted. There will always be twists and gaps in our understanding, right? Life reminds us that we can't always figure things out. These are things that we wish we could fix, wish we could solve, wish we could change. But at the end of the day, there are just some things in life that we can't. There will always be people we want, we can't manage, right? I mean, sometimes it's our own children. Sicknesses we cannot cure, Pressures we cannot escape, wrecks that we cannot avoid, and death we cannot stop. No matter how much wisdom we apply to the complexities of life, no amount of wisdom can change those things. But Solomon isn't ready to throw in the towel quite yet. He's still searching, right? Remember, he's sincerely seeking the meaning of life, specifically through human wisdom. And then he says in verse 16, He said, I said in my heart, that's a great phrase. He is having a one-on-one conversation with his soul, a daily dialogue. That's what he's doing here. He's talking to himself. He says, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And you may be thinking, man, Solomon is really bragging about himself. No, he's telling the truth. This is true of what he's saying. You look at 1 Kings chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 10. These are truths about the wisdom that Solomon possessed. And Then verse 17, it says, And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. Solomon desired to discover through human wisdom the difference between right and wrong. Why? Because he's thinking, if I just become a better person... By understanding the difference between right and wrong, it would provide the very meaning in life that I am seeking. And to this, he says, I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind. Then he says in verse 18, for in much wisdom is much vexation. That word vexation means frustration, heartache, anger. And why is that the case? I love what he says. He says, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow when I read that phrase it reminded me of a song in 1997 by Biggie Smalls mo money mo problems Solomon 3,000 years ago says more knowledge more problems that's what he's saying right the more I know about life the more it frustrates me the more it angers me in this world apart from God human wisdom can only show us the problem but it cannot cure the problem right and the more Solomon saw, the more he learned, the more he experienced this, the more it frustrated him, even angered him. It's one thing to know when the sound from an instrument isn't quite right. It's a whole other thing to learn and know how to fix it, right? I mean, think about that. Isn't that true? We know that something's just not quite right. But no amount of human wisdom can truly fix the problem. Wisdom alone will not satisfy Next, on this journey of life, Solomon teaches us that pleasure alone will not satisfy. Pleasure alone will not satisfy. So Solomon runs out of the library of learning into the city streets of experience. That's what he's doing here, right? Is it possible that meaning in life, true meaning in life, is just a pursuit of happiness? I mean, that is what is sold day after day after day. If I'm just happy, I'll be satisfied. I mean, that is not true, right? And that's what Solomon gets at here. He says in verse uh, verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, I said in my heart, again, sincere search, speaking to his soul, daily dialogue, I'm just going to be happy, right? I'm going to learn to be happy, and then I'll be find the the meaning of life, right? So he's having this conversation. He says, come now. I'm going on a quest, right? I'm going on a journey. I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. Solomon wants to experience the good life, right? That's what he wants to do. He thinks that if he finds the good life, it will bring the meaning that he's looking for. And what did Solomon discover? Again, he's telling us the answer right out front. He says, but behold, this also was vanity. It was short-lived and it was elusive. Before we see Solomon's journey, he tells us that the conclusion that he came to was it didn't work. Now the question is, what trails did Solomon go on? Because maybe he missed some, right? Is it possible to go on the journey of life in every trail and at the end of the trail come to that conclusion? Vanity, elusiveness, short-lived. Well, let's see the trails that Solomon decided to go on. Solomon took the trail of laughter, verse 2, or amusement. He said, the scripture says, I said of laughter it is mad, meaning that it, it shines. Like on the outside, it, it, it looks good, right? There's a shining to it and a pleasure. What use is it? You know, laughter is a beautiful gift from the Lord. Do you agree? It's a precious gift from the Lord. But laughter can't satisfy the longings in our souls, right? You see, laughter oftentimes is a cover or a front to what is really behind the curtain of your soul. I mean, you think about it. Some of the people that have the most struggles on the outside look like they're having a lot of fun. But deep down, there's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of struggle there. How many times have we laughed or made others laugh, only masking the fact that we are hurting inside? You see, laughter can distract us from pain, but it cannot remove the pain. Solomon takes us on the trail of alcohol, verse 3. He says, I search with my heart, again, intense seeking, seeking desperately for meaning. He says, how to cheer, that word cheer talks about stimulate, entice, or gratify. What is it that he wants to stimulate, entice, or gratify? He says, my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom. That phrase there, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, means that Solomon is not uh, overindulging in something. He, he's not being a victim to alcohol. He's experimenting with alcohol. He's trying to see, does this bring true satisfaction in my life, right? Right? He says, and how to lay hold of it, this idea of grasping something, taking possession of something, and he calls it folly. That word folly talks about foolishness, deception to the soul. Deception so great that you actually think that if you can experiment with that, that it will satisfy. I mean, today, if you watch the Super Bowl, you're going to see a lot of ads, and some of those ads are going to be wrapped around alcohol, right? It's only part of the picture. You're thinking, if I can just have that experience, then life will have meaning. Then life will have satisfaction. What does he say? He says, till I might see that was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. What is he saying? Time is short. Eat, drink, be merry, right? That's where true satisfaction is found. That's the search that he's on. Remember what he says, though. It's vanity. It's meaningless. It's a vapor. It's elusive. It's short-lived. If you're searching for meaning in alcohol, Solomon says alcohol never dulls the pain. It doesn't work. Why? Because at the end of the day, you'll still feel alone. You'll still feel ashamed. you still feel ridden with guilt, thinking the next drink will be different. That's what he's saying. Something's missing, and he thinks that that's where it's going to be found. Then he goes on the trail of accomplishments. Verse 4. He says, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. You know, Solomon is a very disciplined man, right? He's a very, very disciplined man. He dedicated his life to, in many ways, to his work. He was an artist. He was an architect. He was a builder. First Kings 7 says it took 13 years to build his palace, right? Not because he didn't have enough money. Not because the budget was tight. It wasn't because he couldn't pull the proper permits. It was just that complex, that beautiful. 13 years to build his palace, Verse 5 and 6, the scripture says, I made for myself, Solomon speaking, I made for myself gardens and parks and planted in, in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which the water, the forest of growing trees. The word parks is an amazing word. It's the word paradise. Paradise, that's very significant. Solomon is trying to recreate the paradise, the garden of Eden that was lost in Genesis 3 when sin entered the world. That's what he's doing. But this time, there's no forbidden fruit. That's what he's trying to do. Solomon is seeking to create an oasis in the desert. When it comes to paradise, we try to do the same thing. Think about the paradises that we try to create, the paradises that we are drawn to. We run towards paradise trying to forget our problems of the past or to cure the problems in the future, right? If we just change the scenery, then things will be better. Solomon took the trail of possessions. Verse 7 and 8, he says, I bought male and female slaves and had slaves whom were born in my house, and you know, with all that stuff that he had going on, he needed a workforce, right? Uh, but think about it, he says he, he bought these people, like th- those were possessions to him, right? He, he thought he had control over them, right? He says, I had also great possessions of herds and flocks more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. So he's got a lot, and if you read 1 uh, Kings, it talks about the feast that he would have, the meals that he, daily meals that we, he would have, just a norman Enormous amount of food and drink. And how, how is it that he paid for all this? He says in verse 8, he says, I also gathered, that is, I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces, right? He, he was a business ran, right? The, the, the scripture alludes to the fact that uh, silver to him, money to him, was like just stones on the street. It was everywhere, right? I remember, you know, how many of y'all, well, you may not be as old as I am. Many of you aren't. Remember the cartoon DuckTales, right? Scrooge McDuck, swimming in his money, right? Yeah, he's the original Scrooge McDuck, right? He's got, he got all the money. For Solomon, the second house, the bigger garage, the paradise at the beach or in the backyard was his way of searching for meaning. Then he takes us on the trail of entertainment. He says in verse 8, second part of verse 8, I got singers, both men and women. Keep in mind, during Solomon's day, they didn't have Pandora, they didn't have Spotify, right? There was no Bose speaker to to hook up, link up to your phone, right? But he had live performances, right? He had the real deal. It was like a live concert everywhere he went, right? He put Taylor Swift to shame, right? I can't believe I said that name in a sermon, but he put her to shame, right? And and think about the fact that the scripture is so detailed, men and women. You know, because for the most part, it was only the men who sung. But here it says women. So he's pushing the envelope, right? Again, no limits to where he was going, right? Solomon took the trail of sexual pleasure. Third part of verse 8, he says, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. That word concubines means one thing. People in his life were only there to satisfy his sexual desires. That's it. That's all they were for. That's what he's communicating here. Solomon is reminding us that gold and silver, they're cold currencies. He desires a warm body, right? And according to scripture, he had a lot of them. 1 Kings 11 says that he had 700 wives, 300 concubines, right? Solomon is outright going against the will of the Lord. God's design and command for marriage between one man and one woman for life. He objectified women and it cost him dearly, right? That's where he thought meaning was going to be found. Solomon took the trail of there is nothing off limits. You know, when you think about Solomon's life, he's not on the bunny trail, right? He's on the double black diamonds, right? He is going for the whole thing, right? And that's what he says in verse 9. He says, so I became great and surpassed uh, all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And listen, listen to what he says in verse 10. He says, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Solomon denies himself absolutely nothing, and it appears that he enjoys it to a degree, right? He says, this was my reward. For all my work, this was my reward. I mean, we, we can relate to Solomon. I worked really hard for this. Day in and day out, I worked for that company or did that thing or served this family, There's nothing off-limits because of all the work that I put into it. And what was the conclusion to Solomon's experiment, that journey of all those trails of trying to find satisfaction outside of the Lord? He says in verse 11, Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. That word considered is huge. It talks about coming face-to-face with something, looking at something in the mirror, looking at something for what it was. Solomon gets to a place where he finally slows down from all those trails of trying to find satisfaction outside of the will of the Lord. and He looks at face-to-face, and he assesses the situation, and what does he say? Vanity, a striving after the wind, nothing gained under the sun. And his search for meaning through pleasure left him wanting for something more. Why? Because he was empty still, right? There was still something missing. And this is important because if we aren't careful, listen, church, we will envy lives like Solomon's, but in the end only prove what Solomon found to be true. His life was empty. Why? Because everything Solomon sought to do whether it through wisdom or pleasure, it was about him and for him. Did you see all the eyes in our passage this morning? I did this and I did that and I was going after this and I did these things for myself. I mean, you go back and you mark every personal pronoun in the passage that we just read, those two sections of scripture. It's filled with him, not with the Lord, Right? self-centered, self-absorbed, and unfulfilled. That's what Solomon is saying. There is nothing quite as sad as a person who has everything to live with, but nothing to live for. That's what Solomon is saying to us. To get to the end of your life and discover that all you've ever wanted and all you ever had is not enough. It's not enough. So what's our takeaways this morning? On this journey of life and the search for meaning, Solomon teaches us that wisdom that's satisfied is found in the Lord. That's where true wisdom satisfies, is found in the Lord. There's nothing wrong with seeking wisdom, right? The issue is, what is the source of your wisdom? What is the source? Is it from the world or is it from the Lord? Is it just human knowledge, human experience, human education? Or is it truly from the word of the Lord? That's, that's the question that we have to ask and answer all the time. We need to understand something about wisdom. Wisdom is not so much so pursuing an it. It's pursuing a person, right? The person of Jesus Christ. He is the embodiment of all wisdom. It's about a relationship with him. Proverbs 1.7 says it like this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The wisdom that leads to life and ultimate joy begins with knowing and fearing the Lord. It's the reverent, repentant, submissive awe of recognizing who God is, that God is in control, that his truth is absolute, and you're choosing to obey and rest in him. Why? Again, because Jesus is the perfect embodiment of wisdom and truth. Proverbs 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. This reminds us that we have a choice in how we choose to live, right? As followers of Christ, we have a choice. What did he say in verse 7 at the end? He says, fools despise wisdom and dis- instruction. The only one excluded from God's wisdom is the fool, right? The one who in his own heart says there is no God or I have no need for him. Right now. Jeremiah nine, twenty-three and twenty-four says this Thus says the Lord Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, talking about the Lord, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. And we are tempted every single day, to live in our own resources, our own wisdom, our own strength, our own riches. But ultimate meaning is not found in any of those things. It's only found in the one who has all power, all wealth, and all wisdom. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, wisdom is seeing life from God's perspective and living accordingly to what he has said. And this is the beauty of a relationship with the Lord. He gives generously his wisdom, right? That's what the half-brother of Jesus says in James chapter 1. James says in verse 5 through 8, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he's talking to the church, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, right? We don't have to figure these things out. We don't have to live life based on what my college professor said, right? I can go to the word of the Lord, right? That's so important. I don't have to look at social media and say, okay, that's how I'm going to learn to live my life. No, I go to the word of the Lord. And the scripture says, he gives what? He gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. He's never tired of you asking, right? This journey of life where you have question after question, that's one thing as a parent. Like, your children can wear you out with their questions, right? God says, I never get worn out. You can ask me over and over and over and over again, and I give graciously and generously my wisdom to you. But he says in verse 6, but let, not, uh, but, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now that's important. When we're asking the Lord for his wisdom, we're doing so in faith. We're doing it based on the character of God, based on the word of God and the spirit of God, right? And this idea when James says that uh, that do not suppose that you will receive anything from the Lord. Again, God is not being stingy. God is generously giving you his wisdom, but when you are double-minded, right? When you're trying to be halfway in, halfway out, guess what? He's going to give his wisdom, but you're not going to receive it. You're not going to receive it. You're not going to hold on to it. You see, true wisdom leads us to our only hope, our only hope in Jesus Christ. So where do you need wisdom today? In your search, in your seeking, and you're digging to the root and turning up every rock. You're all in, in life. Where do you need wisdom today? Your need for wisdom is ultimately found in Jesus Christ. On this journey, the search for meaning Solomon teaches us, secondly, pleasure that satisfies is found in the Lord. You know, I think it's very important for us to recognize something as believers. Pleasure by itself, in and of itself, is not evil or sinful. We have done a disservice within the body of Christ to think about pleasure in a way that is not of the scripture. This idea that we cannot have fun, that we can't enjoy life, God has created us to delight in his creation, but it has to be done in a way that honors him, right? So pleasure is not sinful in and of itself. It's not evil in and of itself. It's about the glory of the Lord. Our pleasures are to be God-centered. And one of the issues Solomon faced was seeking pleasure from the things of the world without what? Honoring the Lord. We are called to enjoy the pleasures given by God for his glory. The psalmist says in Psalm 1611, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are what? Pleasures forevermore. You know, walking with the Lord brings us incredible joy, does it not? Joy doesn't come from seeking the things of this world. Why? Because the heart is not satisfied until it is satisfied in the Lord. And that's what he's saying. Walk with the Lord, and there you will find your greatest pleasure. The secret to life isn't having everything. It's about being satisfied in him. The psalmist says in Psalm 90 verse 14, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. The picture here is the people of God in the time of wilderness. And what did God do to satisfy his people? He rained down manna from heaven every single day. So the issue wasn't God's provision for his people. The issue was what? The perversion of man. Man. Right, they were not satisfied in and of the Lord. They had to go. They wanted to go outside of that. This is nothing new, right? This is the cycle of fallenness in this world. You look at uh, Jeremiah two, verses twelve through thirteen. The scripture says, "Be appalled, O heavens! At this, be shocked, be utterly desolate." Declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. God is speaking to his people. He says, you've committed two evils, right? One, you've turned away from me. The only one who can give you life, meaning, and purpose, right? And you've done the second thing. You've turned from him and tried to find life in all these other things, things that you can do. The broken cisterns didn't, didn't fall because of the weight of what it was trying to hold. They were broken from the beginning, right? The same is true for us. When we are going to the world over and over and over again, trying to find satisfaction in those things, guess what? It's never gonna work, why? Because they were always broken in the first place. We have to find satisfaction in the Lord. And all of us have a potential of wondering. Every single one of us. And we dig and we dig and we dig and we dig only to find what? There's no substance, empty, the cisterns. What's the cisterns in your life that you're going to? Digging with your own hands and losing sight of what God has already done through Christ. This passage is a mirror to us. It's a call for us to weep and to acknowledge where we have turned to the things of the world and not rested and being satisfied in the things of the Lord. It's a call to repentance, right? Oh, how the church needs to repent, we have so engrossed ourselves in the things of the world that the world can tell no difference. This is not a harsh word. It is a true word. It's true of you. It's true of me. So as we close this morning, we're going to do two things. What, what distracts you from being satisfied in Christ? I mean, to be truly satisfied... To know that, yes, you see the trails to the left and to the right. But God has paid the way to stay right in the middle. So it's not that they're not there. They are there. But you see the signs. You see the warning. You don't have to go on the trail to find at the end that it is vanity. You already know it's vanity, right? So two things. Examination. It's a time to examine Examine your heart. Let the Lord, through His Spirit, through His Word, examine your heart. Right now, your season of life, the journey of wisdom or pleasure satisfaction, if that's where you think true meaning in life is found, guess what? You will get to the end and know that it didn't work, it was empty. So examine yourself. David writes in Psalm 139 Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So, we are going to go before the Lord, asking the Lord to examine our hearts. Second, I want to bring an invitation God is so merciful, He is so gracious. He is a God who pursues, a God who loves, a God who already knows the trail, but He's a God that redeems us from the trail. But it's an invitation that we have to receive. Every day He is inviting himself to us, right? To not only be in relationship with him, but to enjoy fellowship with him. So hear the words of the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 55, verse one and two, where the Lord speaks to him and says, "'Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, "'and he who has no money, come buy and eat. "'Come buy wine and milk without money and without price, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and you labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. God wants you to experience ultimate pleasure, but that pleasure is only found in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Jesus plus nothing. So will you allow the Lord to examine your heart today? Will you be honest with that examination. Will you confess and repent?